friends, welcome to Womankind. This is Kelsey Novitz, your host, and I'm here with my guest, Julia Bottoms, and this is episode 21. So hi, Julia. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me here. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited. <laughs> so Julia is a visual artist and a small business owner. She owns Buffalo Brush Paint and Sip, which is located in North Buffalo. So Julia, tell us a little bit about your business. Uh, so my business is basically a paint and sip class uh, kind of structure where people come in. It's open to people who have never done art before, people who do art all the time. Uh, basically, you come in and I walk you through step-by-step how to paint a painting, and it's even better because you have wine while you do it. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Do guests get to pick which painting they want to do? Yeah, definitely. Um, so what they do is uh, we have like private parties, we have open events. Mm-hmm. For the open events, you don't get to choose. You look at our calendar online mm-hmm. and you see which paintings you like, and then you just sign up for those. But for private parties, you get to choose what you want. Mm-hmm. So cool. I, like I said, I, well, I was telling you before, I've only done that once before, um, and it was not that successful, but it was really fun, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's why the, I think the wine is in direct correlation <laughs> to how much fun you have. So yeah, that's <laughs> probably true. <laughs> yeah. um, so what is it like being a small business owner in Buffalo? Um, I love it. I I think since I was a kid, I've always been like scheming to have a small business. <laughs> I remember you know, I'd have my little... Christmas ornament hustle when I was a kid I try to you know, <laughs> oh do yeah I try to come up with stuff that I could do and um, you know nothing ever stu- stuck obviously but uh, then once I uh, was on the end of like grad school I decided to go ahead and start well I guess it was technically mid-grad school I said to go ahead and give it a try and you know I'd been working for other companies for a while and I'd had a chance to like learn the ins and outs and see what I liked what I didn't like and I figured okay I could do this on my own and Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I think I'm the only female um, of color owned paint and sip in Buffalo. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So. Are there a lot of other paint and sips in Buffalo? I don't... I there's think. a couple. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, out of the ones that I know of. So mm-hmm. if there's somebody else out there, I'd <laughs> for them. But um, no, I know of a couple others. Um, a lot of them are out in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's kind of cool to be in the city. And I would say that I specifically do a lot of art that really focuses on celebrating like women of color and kind of like a whole series of paintings every month that focuses in on that which is something that I didn't see when I was working out in Williamsville or you know doing traveling events so right exciting to be able to do that that's awesome what are what's your favorite part of owning your own business and Uh, being the boss I think definitely kind of tying into that thing about choosing the content of what it is that I'm making um Well, I love the fact that it gives me freedom to do my studio work. That's a huge thing. But on top of it, I think being able to create paintings that break out of the norm of what I've seen in other companies, specifically towards women of color, geared towards them, I think invites women to come in and say, Mm -hmm. oh, I didn't think that this was for black women, but, you know, I love it. And I have, Mm -hmm. like, this sense of community here. And it's exciting to be a part of that and to know that I'm helping facilitate it. So you actually create the paintings yep. that are then reproduced. Yeah. Okay, I never thought about this aspect of it before, that there is someone... I pictured, like, this paint-by-number factory somewhere. Well, there's some companies that do oh, it like okay. that, where you just... You don't get to make any of your own paintings. I worked for a company like that where um, there's a catalog, and mm-hmm. then you can only reproduce what they tell you to reproduce. So mm-hmm. I think this gives more artistic freedom, too. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. I love that. I love it. It's it's a great job. I'm happy. <laughs> So what are some challenges of owning your own business, running your own business? Uh, gosh, just doing it all. <laughs> you have to be your own promoter, mm-hmm. your own uh, person who handles the books, the teacher, the janitor. Like oh my you're every, Yeah, I'm out there shoveling, I'm salting, I'm doing everything. So it's a lot of work. Um, way more work than having a regular like nine to five in some ways, I think, because you're never off. You're like constantly checking emails at 3 a.m. and stuff like that. But uh, I think it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever done job-wise because I feel like it's something that's meaningful to me and it's my own thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. That's awesome. Do you have employees? Uh, I've, hi- I've had a couple people come in and do, like, individual events here and mm-hmm. there, but for now it's just me. Mm-hmm. So eventually that would be the goal, though. Oh, take that's a vacation. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really don't get to take time off when no, you're I the don't. one in charge. <laughs> So you talked about this a little bit, but does your business serve women specifically in any way? Yeah, um, I think, again, specifically women of color it appeals to because of the subject matter, but um, it's it's open to everybody. 
Um, I do find that my demographic is women, though. Like, mm-hmm. they, I don't know what that is, why guys feel like they can't do it or if they're intimidated or whatever. But um, typically, I have classes that are just all women. And then I try to do date nights, too. So it's kind of fun where it gives them, it gives the men a reason to feel like it's okay to come out, I guess, you know? But, well, maybe through those experiences, a man will, it will catch fire. And they then always more have fun with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anytime they come, they always end up having fun with it and they do better than they think they would. But mm-hmm. I think there's this like intimidation factor mm-hmm. with them. And I don't know what that's about. Well, well, I guess I do know what it's about. I think that our culture kind of teaches, has this weird relationship with art where at the very high levels of it, as far as like very successful top artists, a lot of times that's men. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to what's considered more hobby art, mm-hmm. I think we trivialize it and we make it seem like, oh, that's just a woman's thing. Mm-hmm. When really, you know, I want to see more women at the top levels, but I also want to see more men, you know, and boys even in school feeling like it's okay mm-hmm. to tap into that and do that. That's so interesting. Last episode, we were talking about technology and how men are encouraged to kind of tinker around and play mm-hmm. with technology and women aren't really encouraged to do that as much. Right. Whereas I think in painting or in arts, women are encouraged more to kind of tinker around a little bit with that. Yeah. Um, and it's just, that's a very interesting contrast. Yeah, it's strange because it's too completely different like ideologies about art mm-hmm. when it comes to the upper level versus that and yeah in schools I don't know what that's about what maybe it's because it's so connected to feeling and intuition and we mm-hmm. associate that with being feminine or something I don't mm-hmm. know I think it's dumb whatever the reason <laughs> yeah whatever but, the reason is dumb but, but yeah. I think that might be part of it that it any you know, movies, TV shows, books, things that are connected to emotions are often branded as female. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, men have emotions. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Right. Uh, <laughs> and there are male artists who are, are very intuitive to those things. So mm-hmm. it is an interesting thing. Hmm. Yeah, something to think about, right? <laughs> Definitely. Um, so... Your business, like you said, it's in the community, it's in Buffalo. Um, do you have any specific events or specific ways that you reach out to the community in Buffalo? Most of my advertising is done online. <clears throat> and then uh, I would say the biggest return I have is just on word of mouth advertising. So, mm-hmm. you know, I try to give people the best experience I can. And that way, you know, once they leave, I always have people come back and say, oh, I'm calling up, you know, mm-hmm. three days later after my friend took this event and I want to book something. So... I would say most of it is through word of mouth, believe it or not. And when I first started, it kind of took off right away, which I didn't expect, but mm-hmm. it just somehow like resonated with people. So I've been fortunate that I don't have to do a lot of like traditional paper advertising or anything. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's true that most places I can think of like that, like paint and sip places or like pottery or things like that are concentrated in the suburbs are pretty far away from the city. And mm-hmm. that in some ways has discouraged me from going to places like that because yeah. I'm, I'm like, okay, now I have to drive and I don't want to. Yeah. So that yeah. makes it easier. It brings it to a different location. It makes it more accessible to more people. Yeah, Which definitely. is great. Yeah. So before we move into talking about some of the other things that you do, um, just let our listeners know where they can find you and how they can get involved, how they can um, set up an appointment. Yeah, sure. Um, if they want to take a class, they can just visit the website, www.buffalobrush.com. Um, we have a calendar on there. It'll list any open classes we have. It's also got information on private parties, um, and they can just shoot us an email, and we'll get them all set up. All right. Sounds good. So that's only one small part of the many things that you do, <laughs> Julia. Um, so this summer, you were part of a pretty amazing project um, that was called the Freedom Wall. So why don't you tell our <clears throat> listeners about Freedom Wall and what it is. Yeah, uh, so the Freedom Wall is basically a pretty large mural over on a ferry in Michigan, and it's right across from Performing Arts, if anybody knows what it is. Um, it's 28 panels celebrating local and national civil rights leaders. And basically the goal of the Freedom Wall was to, you know, celebrate these leaders, but also to bring an educational component where, you know, we're learning about people from Buffalo that have actually made significant strides and contributions, but a lot of times, you know, a lot of kids don't even know who they are. So, right there, I looked at the list. You said there are twenty-eight panels, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know as many as I hoped I would. And that's okay. I didn't either. <laughs> Initially, a lot of people didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the, some of us artists on mm-hmm. the team didn't even know who some of these folks mm-hmm. were. So, 
yeah, it's amazing to grow up in a city and not know some of yeah. those things because they aren't, they weren't people that were necessarily recognized on a national level, mm-hmm. but um, to our city and the way things have evolved in our city, they're very important Definitely. people. So how did you get involved with the Freedom Wall? Well, I had just finished up my solo show. Um, either it was done or it was like right on the tail end of it um, over at Buffalo Art Studios, which shout out to Buffalo Art Studios. They're great. <laughs> they have like an all-woman team mm-hmm. and they're amazing. Where are um, they located? They're in the Tri-Main factory over oh, okay. on Main Street. So okay. fifth floor. Amazing. Go there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I just finished up my show over there. And um, I know Shirley, who actually works over there, uh, she ended up talking to Erin Ott, who is uh, in charge of the Freedom Wall Project. And they reached out to me because my work, you know, which is all about representation and people of color, kind of lined up with what they were looking for in an artist for the project. And um, they needed one more, so it was me. And there you were. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what was that process like? How long did it take? What panels specifically did you work on? It was the whole summer for the painting part of it. Um, As far as the planning goes, that's been in the works for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean... Even before I was on it, I think it was like a year in the works of talking mm-hmm. and everything. Um, but yeah, as far as actual painting part, it took from, I, I want to say we got started in June, early to mid-June, and then we went all the way through into the fall. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> it is. It's amazing and beautiful. And I mean, these paintings are like larger than life. They're huge. Um, so I will post um, some different panels from this on um, Instagram and Facebook so you guys can get a sense of what it looks like if you haven't seen it yet. Um, So what did working on the Freedom Wall mean to you? Why did you say yes to this opportunity? Um, Because it's like the biggest thing that's ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, because it's, it was one of those projects that I think as an artist, you just wait forever Mm -hmm. to get asked to do. So I was I tried to play it cool when I was on the phone. I'm like, yeah, I'll think about it. But in my head, I was like, I'm going to call them as soon as I can. <laughs> but uh, also, just the very fact that I knew how important it was going to be and what it would represent for the community and just, like, the history behind it. And, mm-hmm. you know, working on it, it was kind of interesting because I would have a, a whole mix of people coming, old, young. But with some of the younger generation, I found there were kids that didn't even know who some of the large national figures are. So... I think, like, to me, it was like, oh, okay, we don't want to lose that history, you know? It's not just, like, they don't know who the local figures are. They're not learning who these really big names are, too. So I knew that it was going to create an opportunity for people to come alongside it and get excited Mm -hmm. about it and, you know, connect with it. And that's awesome to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I read a little bit about the process of actually choosing the panels. And like you said, it took, like, long before they even asked you to or commissioned the artists for this, they went through this process of meeting with the community and having these meetings and um, figuring out who to actually put on the wall. And I think that the list, it said that the list started with 300 people and they had to whittle it down to 28. Uh, But that, it really was a community effort making that decision of who those people would be. Yeah, there's actually um, a panel right at the very end that has some info on the project, but it's also okay. got like a list of all those names. and Oh, almost all 300? Yeah, I think oh, it's cool. everybody that was on the original list. And um, what was cool about that list is I got to see, before I was officially on the project, I did go to some of the community meetings. And I remember, you know, they just invited you up to go ahead and write down any suggestions. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that it kind of stripped away that barrier of not feeling mm-hmm. like you had a direct say in it. You know, you got mm-hmm. a chance to say... I think this person is a local person, they're important, I think this national person's important, and this is my vote, so, Mm -hmm. And it sounds like all the votes were represented in some way, even if just being written on the information about it. Yeah, and I know um, they did assemble, like, a whole uh, panel of historians and artists and local people to whittle that list down, so even there, it was, like, a whole other aspect of um, letting the community have a say in who's going on there. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like just one or two people making a decision, which I thought was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because how often does that happen where people actually collaborate and work together? Right, not often. And even people who are not at the top get a say. Right. That's a really great process, I think. Yeah. So which panels did you work on specifically? So I did Rosa Parks, uh, Arthur Eve, Eva Doyle, Alicia Garza, King Peterson, Martin Luther King, and who's the last person? I think I might have listed them all. 
Oh, okay. I think I did. So how many was that? Eight? Seven? Seven. Seven. Okay, I wasn't counting it. <laughs> um, oh, and Frederick Douglass. That was seven. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so just an interesting, I didn't do this on purpose, but just by the way, we're recording this episode. This episode will come out on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yeah, cool, <laughs> so that's cool. a nice connection. Yeah. Um, so of those people, tell us, I mean, obviously, you know, hopefully most people have heard of Martin Luther King Jr. and mm-hmm. Rosa Parks. Those are kind of like the big national figures. Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. Hopefully everyone knows who Frederick Douglass is right. now. <laughs> um, uh, but who, tell us some things that you've learned about the people that you um, painted through this project, um, particularly local people. Yeah, I mean, Eva Doyle, I knew who Arthur Eve was before, but like Eva Doyle, I didn't really know, I'd heard her name before, but I didn't know exactly what she did or you know how important she was to Buffalo. But the cool thing about her is that she was instrumental in bringing the project to fruition, like, mm-hmm. overall. So I, I think it was so cool to have her on the wall. But, you know, getting to paint her, I learned that she's, like, a local historian. And we got some really key information about some of the people locally that we wouldn't have found otherwise. Like, she had records of people, you know, that weren't necessarily in the history books. So to have somebody up there like that that had a direct hand in the project, I think, was huge. And... It was cool because she'd come by really often too. So I remember at one point she brought her daughter and her granddaughter and we ended up getting a picture of that because it's like, okay, we have these three generations of history right right here in front of this wall. And, you know, this person who's been so instrumental, you know, there with her whole family. So was that intimidating to have your model kind of living right there? (laughs) Yeah. And she came by a lot. So it was like every day I'm like, okay, I better make sure it's right today. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was definitely intimidating. Um, but, you know, I, I think overall the whole thing was in some ways intimidating, but having to, like, push myself. Even just the quality of the artists that I was working with, you know, they're all very talented artists. And mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily know John or Idris very well before, but... Oh, who were the other artists? Uh, John Adri- John uh, Baker, Idris Wajed, Chuck Tingley. Oh, okay. So I was familiar with Chuck's work, and I've been a big fan of his for years. And then seeing John and Idris as well, who are also very talented, it was just like, oh my gosh, I better do good. <laughs> and, and being the only woman, too, on the project was just like, I felt extra pressure to make sure that I, you know, represent. Well, you delivered <laughs> from you. what I've seen. I haven't seen Thank them in you. person yet, but they are unreal from Thank the you. photos that I've seen. Yeah, it was definitely a team effort, but... Mm-hmm. But go girls. Um, So I know you've done, you've talked about how you've done other shows and you've had a big role in the art world in Buffalo, I would say. Um, Does this history aspect always come into play in your art or is this kind of a new experience for you? No, uh, that's the big difference between this project and my studio work. Excuse me. My studio work is mostly dealing with like people who are here with us currently, you know, Mm -hmm. just uh, everyday average people that I know, friends, family, and kind of um, telling their story in visual form, but not necessarily like somebody who's from way, way back. Whereas with this project, it's all about, you know, representing somebody that is pretty well known or even like the local people, you know, Mm -hmm. might not be super well known, but people know who they are. So Mm -hmm. there's this um, added expectation, I think, of where you have to really nail the image and Make sure you get it right. Because somebody else asked me this in an interview recently about with Martin Luther King if it was a lot of pressure. And it was because with that, if you don't get that image right, people instantly know that it's off. It's like, oh, I know who it's (laughs) supposed to be because it kind of looks like him, but it's not right. Yeah, I mean, his face is an iconic image in our country, in the world. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. People would know. People would know. I, I know there's a lot of controversy um, with the statue that we have, the Martin Luther King statue. And I mean, some people love it, some people hate mm-hmm. it, but I think it's because of the fact that it's not quite his face, mm-hmm. but it's sort of his face. So <laughs> yeah, it's that in-between area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need that like recognition immediately yeah. Yeah. with something like that. Yeah. All right, so um, let's talk a little bit about some of your shows that you have coming up. You said you have a couple exhibits, um, specifically one at the Albright Knox or a talk at the Albright oh, Knox. I, yeah, not an ex- I wish it was an exhibit. Oh, okay. there. No, it's just a talk that I have coming up. Um, we're going to be doing, uh, there's an exhibit they're having over there about women of color who produce art, and I'm going to be one of the artists speaking on that. And that, I believe, is February 18th. And then I'm going to be giving a solo show at Buffalo Sem in 
April. I want to say it's the 21st. I got to double check my calendar. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm well, not even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, that's far away. It is, but... um, can you give us any previews of what you're working on or what some of those things will entail? Yeah, I mean, it's always, as far as I am thinking, it's always going to be an extension of the same themes because I think there's so much work to be done in the themes that I'm working on, which is representation. I mean, mm-hmm. I think for people of color, I just gave a talk on this for Creative Mornings. We don't have a lot of opportunities in the art world to see ourselves accurately represented as models. We have very few opportunities to see ourselves as the artists as well. So I think that there's so much work that has to be done in there. And, I, you know, I, maybe because it affects me personally, mm-hmm. I feel very passionate about it. And I think I'm always going to do something that's kind of related to that, mm-hmm. and, uh, just in that same vein. Um, but with the show that I'm doing in April, I'm definitely trying to do more um, specifically like representing women because or the first initially when I first started my series, I was really focused on representing men of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of like a direct reaction to the Trayvon Martin case mm-hmm. and just everything going on with that. And I think it was necessary. It, it was a good thing to focus on. But now I want to broaden it a little bit more and kind of think about, you know, what price do we pay as women of color? Like, where, how are we affected? Because it's a very different way than men of color. And, you know, our story has to be told as well. And our, our struggles and difficulties and even triumphs, like, that's something that I want to dig a little mm-hmm. bit deeper into. Absolutely. And hold on, I have a quote from Oprah from okay. the Golden Gloves last night that fits right into this. Let me find it here. Oh, no, I have it on my sheet. Oh, okay. um, so... Oprah said on the Golden Globes last night, this this episode is going to come out a week after the Golden Globes, but on January 7th, she said, speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Mm-hmm. And she really emphasized the importance of telling stories. And now, now is the time to get stories of all different people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's one of my goals on this podcast is to have people come on and tell their own stories. Um, so that way, you know, not just as like an inspirational tool, but as... Julia's talking about representation and seeing yourself in places where maybe you haven't seen yourself before. So question for you, Julia, how does representation, how has that affected your life personally, if you're comfortable speaking about that? Yeah, sure. Um, It has been an interesting ride. (laughs) (laughs) I, I know I was talking about this recently somewhere else. I think growing up as, you know, a kid of color, um, you don't see a lot of like beauty icons that directly reflect what you look like, your hair texture, you know, your skin color and everything, at least not in the mainstream. Are there beautiful women of color out there? Of course, but that's not what we see a lot of times on the cover of Glamour. Um, it's not who's winning like Homecoming Queen or whatever, well, depending on where you are. And I was out in Chictawaga for a lot of my schooling years, so I think representation was not always there. And then when it comes to being an artist, definitely wasn't there you know you look in the history books and it's all old European guys so there you know you don't feel like you necessarily have a place um but I think and I think that was hard for a long time to kind of like struggle with that and be like oh you know if I want to be an artist like what is it I'm supposed to paint like and I, I thought for a long time it meant copying images of those women that I saw in glamour in my sketchbook or you know painting people that don't look like me um But I think coming into adulthood, I was like, well, no, that's not my truth anyway. I I see the beauty in the women around me, um, in my family and myself. So, you know, there must be something true to that. And this is what I want to paint. So I think that meant me creating a space for myself and creating this whole other, like, narrative that that wasn't necessarily being told um, by the world around me. Mm -hmm. So if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. Now, this is kind of a random, like, art question. Have you ever done self-portraits that have kind of portrayed or followed this journey at all? Uh, I do a self-portrait. Every couple of years I try to do one. Uh, it's I think it's the hardest portrait you can do um, for a number of reasons, mostly because I think you always see yourself a little bit differently than maybe the world sees you, and I think you can't help but have that come out in your work. But I do feel like every self-portrait I do gets a little bit closer to how I actually look. So, Interesting. Yeah, so I like it. I think it's it's a good 
marker almost mm-hmm. like over the years to look back mm-hmm. and kind of see the evolution yeah it's like okay i'm getting closer <laughs> i had a really hard time creating my bitmoji mm-hmm. because i don't know what i look like myself so <laughs> well it, it requires a lot of self-reflection i mean mm-hmm. you think it'd just be a simple thing like oh this is what my nose looks like mm-hmm. this is what my eyes look like but i think it requires you to stop and take stock of what you actually look like, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I have bags under my eyes. Mm-hmm. I have to paint those bags <laughs> if I want it to look like myself. Mm-hmm. And maybe just because we're vain people, but I think sometimes that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as that. Like, putting your flaws into a painting is mm-hmm. difficult. Right, and seeing yourself how you actually are. Yeah. Definitely. But once you do it, it's cool then to step mm-hmm. back and say, oh, that actually looks like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that's, a, that's some nice self-awareness. You do <laughs> see yourself as yourself. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else you'd like to add about the shows that you have coming up or anything that we didn't cover? Um, if people want to check out my Facebook page, I am keeping updates on there and everything. I haven't been very good about it this past year, but um, yeah, I'll be keeping people updated. I have a mural that I'm supposed to be doing in Cincinnati over the summer, oh, cool. so yeah, hopefully uh, I'll have a lot more stuff to post and mm-hmm. things to keep people posted on. Um, and your Facebook is Julia Bottoms. Julia Bottoms Art, yeah. Okay. Julia Bottoms Art. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So now we're going to get to know, well, I, we've learned a lot about Julia, but we're going to learn more <laughs> about Julia now. So... Tell us your story, and you can interpret that however you'd like. <laughs> yeah, it's really broad. Um, okay, well, I mean, I guess I got into it a little bit earlier. Um, I was born on the east side. We moved out to Sheridan Parkside when I was pretty young. Um, I stayed there up until the beginning of middle school. Um, then we moved out to Chituaga. And it, it was kind of like a, even though it was a similar demographic, I think it was a little bit of like a culture shock in some ways because... Sheridan Parkside was a little bit more of like a mixed neighborhood, and we were all really low income there. And then Chictawaga, not that it's rich, but it's definitely more suburban. And I think there were different attitudes about mixed race families there versus, you know, in Tonawanda, mm-hmm. just like whatever. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that was an, an adjustment for me to uh, go from one spot to another. Um, but, you know, I, I had some good experiences there as well. Um, but also, I don't know, just always having that awareness of like being other in a mm-hmm. school, I think, was kind of challenging. Um, and I don't think it, it manifested in my art as far as like me doing something um, to address that, but it did manifest in the way of where I was saying I have, you know, sketchbooks that are filled with people that don't look like me from that time period. Um, but it, that kind of, those themes were always in my head, I think, even then, because. I remember having a couple like really, really bad racist experiences out there, like somebody just like shouting at me and my sister for walking down the street, and it was weird, but, you know, I, I would like to think that it helps inform the work that I do now, because mm-hmm. I think about the next kid that's going to be in the same spot that I was at that point, and I think, okay, they need to be able to see themselves. They need to be able to see some sort of representation of, like, where they are and I can relate to where they are so mm-hmm. I hope to do that at mm-hmm. this point in life with my work. Nice and I we are living in because I think you and I are around the same age I, we are living in a little bit of a different time where you can get those ideas out there a mm-hmm. little bit easier with social media and the internet like not that we were living in a vacuum in those times but ideas didn't spread as quickly right as yeah. they do now. Yeah, definitely less access to the internet and things like that. So, yeah, it's a great time, I think, in that sense. But, it, you know, the internet's evil. So. Well, yeah, there, it has some, it's also bad. It's flawed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what does it mean to be a woman in 2018? And what does it mean to you to be a woman in 2018? Because now we're in 2018. Yeah, I know. Right? Oh, my gosh. Where's the time go? <laughs> Uh, I guess they'd be the same answer for both. Um, I think being a woman means being flexible. I don't know, like, to me that's the first thing that comes to mind, just having the ability to wear a lot of different hats, to, um, you know, if there's something you can't do, learn how to do it, um, be able to do for yourself. And that sounds very, like, independent, <laughs> Destiny's Child or whatever, but, but no, I think it's true. I think... Um, that's part of like 
taking power into your own hands is, mm-hmm. you know, giving yourself knowledge if there's something that, you know, only guys are supposed to know how to do, like, <laughs> fix your car. Or change. I'm not there yet, by the way. Like, I can't fix my car yet. But, but I look at my mom, for example, and she is, like, learning how to do woodworking, and she built, like, this crazy bench and everything, and, you know, she does house repairs and stuff like that. So this wasn't something that she knew when she came to Buffalo, but she's learned, and if she needs something, she just takes charge, and she learns how to do it. So I think that's a very empowering thing to mm-hmm. allow yourself to gain knowledge. Mm-hmm. And what a great example for you yeah. growing up to see her do that. She's awesome. Mom <laughs> <laughs> a badass for sure. <laughs> Shout out to Julia's mom. Hey, mom. (laughs) So what are your favorite parts of being a woman? I don't know. I love it all. Um, (laughs) I love it all except for the sexual harassment and discrimination. Mm -hmm. We'll be getting to that topic later. Um, I, I think this is one of my least favorite but also one of my favorite things is being underestimated Mm -hmm. because I think the world thinks there's only certain things that you can do or that you're supposed to do and then just getting the like punch you you guys can't see that but I did the punching motion (laughs) yeah it's hard to be a person who talks with your hands here because I do it all the time and I do a lot of like nodding my head and I'm like they can't see me right (laughs) but yeah just getting to defy those expectations and really show up when you have a chance to I think that's exciting for me as a woman Mm -hmm. do you think that's something that men lack in some ways and it prevents them from doing things like I feel like now we have a lot of women that are breaking barriers and doing these amazing things and I know it's not just because we're underestimated but do you think it encourages people to do things more because we're underestimated okay rephrase so you're saying with men do I think they do that they miss out on something because they are not underestimated Oh, yeah, probably sometimes. I think, you know, if you feel like you don't have to, if you don't have that, like, hunger to do something and somebody else does, like, I don't care if they're 100 pounds lighter than you or whatever it is that they they lack physically. I think that hunger and that passion and drive, a lot of times, will it'll be that David and Goliath thing where, mm-hmm. you know, you overcome because you wanted it more, so... You know, I, I don't think there's a ton of, well, maybe in the workplace, there's a lot more like competition you'd see, mm-hmm. but, um, in athletics, I think maybe like guys don't necessarily have to worry about it as much, but mm-hmm. I think in the workplace, we're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I work in an all girls school. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I don't know. I don't think it should have to be like this huge competitive thing. I think mm-hmm. it's just recognize that we have strengths too, mm-hmm. just like we recognize guys have strengths, mm-hmm. but you know. Maybe celebrate that. Help us. Mm-hmm. Don't harass us. Right. That's the key. Don't harass us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I hate that we have to say that. Um, so what are the hardest parts of being a woman, speaking of? That's, that is one of the hard parts. Um, I think being taken seriously. Well, I mean, I think over the years I've finally learned how to deal with that and just like not take any shit when it comes mm-hmm. to that but it's still a little bit de- well not a little bit but it is degrading when there's a man that you don't know and he doesn't know that you're not going to deal with it and you know says something disrespectful and um it's trying to understand how to work through that and how to handle that situation and I remember I had a guy while I was working on the wall <clears throat> excuse me who I was painting and he asked if he could take some footage and everything while I was doing it and just very like complimenting and everything. So I was like, yeah, of course. And I'm smiling, I'm on the video and everything. And he goes, oh, see women, look, this is a talented woman out here. She's doing it. And he said something like, um, see, you don't have to be little thoughts. You can do something too, like her. And I was just like, what? Well, that's not really what? helpful. <laughs> no, well, it was just so... I don't know, like, what are you even talking about? Like, what is somebody's sexuality or, like, what they're doing? First off, like, what does that have to do with what I'm doing here, which is painting? You have no idea what kind of, not that I'm, like, doing anything like that, but if I was, you would have no idea because Mm -hmm. I'm here painting on a wall and the two are not related. So why are you out here trying to slut-shame women when it has nothing to do with this? Mm -hmm. So... I just didn't understand that situation at mm-hmm. all. And I mean, I got, like, women's sexuality is tied to everything, and it's not really fair. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Because you don't see, you wouldn't see that with 
I guarantee you, if one of the guy painters had been mm-hmm. out there, um, he wouldn't have said anything like that. Their right. sexual, whatever, doings would have nothing, nothing to, to do with what they're doing. <laughs> so, I don't know. But, you know, that, that's how it is with our culture. I think mm-hmm. we shame women in that sense, and we take away their control, and mm-hmm. it's dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we reduce women to yeah. their sexuality. Yeah. Anything else that's hard? <laughs> uh, that's a big one, but... I think lifting things. <laughs> lifting things. Um, I don't know. I've always been kind of like a tomboy growing up, so I think for me, as far as physical strength goes, mm-hmm. I think I've always like had bigger eyes than muscles, so mm-hmm. if there's something that the boys were doing, I'd be like, I'm going to do it too. And, and a lot of times, like I think it going back to that whole like drive thing, I did um, karate for a number of years, and my dad would always make me work out with the boys. So mm-hmm. I think it was hard because I wasn't necessarily as physically built the same way as the guys, muscular-wise, or muscle-wise. But um, that passion that I had, I would be able to hold my own. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's hard, I think, but it's also cool. <laughs> yeah. Just poses some challenges that yeah. you can overcome. Yeah. So what do you think the world needs to know about women that it doesn't know? Mm. <clears throat> well, I would go back to the don't underestimate us part. But, um, I don't know. I don't think it's that the world doesn't know things about women. I think it's people just, well, guys, guys <laughs> just aren't listening a lot of times. Um, you know, we, we have our own desires. We have our own drive, our things that we want to accomplish and do. And uh, I think it's very harmful when, well, I guess I'll just talk about dads. And I don't have this kind of dad, so I'm mm-hmm. very fortunate. But I think, you know, if your daughter, for example, is coming to you and saying that she has an interest in something like technology or whatever, mm-hmm. don't, you know, make her feel like it's not for her. You know, if she has an interest in a sport, don't make her feel like it's not for her. Don't, you know, push her out of that because you think it's a boy's thing because you might be robbing her of something that's her gift and that she's amazing at, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's another story if it's something that you're not good at, like me. Yeah, me and softball. Oh, oh. It's great. <laughs> well, that's different. <laughs> I just wasn't good. <laughs> that's okay. There's plenty of things I'm bad at. <laughs> no, my dad did make me go out in the backyard and catch pop flies, to which I sat down and said I didn't want to do it. So but that's, he tried. That's on there. He yeah. tried. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so, what issues that affect women are you most passionate about? Um. Well, definitely the representation, for starters. I think that's one of the biggest things to me. Um, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint any one specific thing, because I think they all matter to Mm -hmm. me. Like, anything where I feel like it's, if I have a daughter, you know, if I feel like it's going to mess with her future, then I want to talk about it. I want to address it and, you know, do what I can to make it better. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I just think we're not taken seriously, I guess, if if I can sum it up in that way. I think Mm -hmm. everything we do most often is somehow connected to our sexuality, Mm -hmm. um, and we have to play that role out professionally, you know. I can't can't remember how many times over the years before I was established in, you know, art where I was working other jobs, especially waitressing jobs. Mm -hmm. Those are the worst. I I think the sexual harassment is rampant Mm -hmm. in waitressing jobs, and, you know, People think it's so easy, like, oh, just, you know, tell the guy to leave you alone. But mm-hmm. it's not that easy if your boss is constantly making, like, little under-the-radar jokes or whatever. And mm-hmm. what do you say to that, you know? Or do you just laugh it off and keep your job? Or do you tell him – I don't know if I, I can't swear on this, so <laughs> but, you know, what do you tell him? Yeah, Yeah, we actually have – almost a whole episode of this podcast where we talk about sexual harassment in Mm -hmm. the restaurant industry um, with Kate Connolly, um, who's worked at a few local restaurants where that is just built into the culture, and Mm -hmm. she's had to find little ways to be subversive to combat it. Um, Hopefully that will be changing soon. Um, I'm going to be talking about that with stories of subversion in a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully that will be addressed. Wait, was there another issue that you... Uh, well, we're talking about representation. Oh, okay. I, you know, I've, I talked about that a lot already. Okay. So you can talk just... about it again if you want. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I will go back to that then. Okay. Um, something that I talked about in another talk 
was just how specifically women of color are represented in art historically, if we're mm-hmm. represented at all. And it's always as a servant, mm-hmm. as exotic, or you're literally just like a literal shadow in mm-hmm. the background. So, um, but one of the most damaging ones, I think, is the exotic um, mm-hmm. caricature that you see mo- most often. So it's not an accident that our culture looks at black women and says, oh, you know, you're these sexual creatures and you know, there's a lot of like fetishizing and stuff. And I think that goes all the way back to the way that we're seen in art. And then that directly relates to the way that we're seen in media and how we're portrayed. And it's just, it's ridiculous because that shouldn't be the only like role that we play or how we're seen by society. Um, And yet it's the main one. If you look at TV, we're like the loud, boisterous friend or, you know, the comedic relief or we're really, really hypersexual. Mm-hmm. And what it does is not only does it like rob us of an opportunity to see ourselves as we really are represented, mm-hmm. um, but it also robs, I would say, the rest of the world of knowing that we're multifaceted people. Mm-hmm. And that there's, you know, just like any other race, there's all these different types of women out there, you know? Mm-hmm. So would you say that maybe now in 2018 that you see that changing or is it still kind of like the same old story? Oh, I don't think it's going to go away this year. I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's a long, long journey. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't imagine it just disappearing, even if we work really hard this year. I mm-hmm. think there's always going to be a lot of work to do. Um, but I think maybe this year some big steps could happen, some big mm-hmm. changes could happen if we agree as a culture to, <laughs> you know, stop. <laughs> Or try to stop. Are we going to agree on anything as a culture? No, and we're not. And that's the thing. That's why these things are not going to fully ever go away. But Mm -hmm. um, to me, maybe that's part of like my art too is why, okay, I feel like I'm going to have to tell a story. And so I'm trying to think like which one I should put first. But (laughs) with art, the art that I make, I think a lot of times it is for the people that I'm representing as opposed to like, oh, this is an educational tool for people who don't get it. Mm -hmm. It is that too. But I think it's also more about seeing yourself and, you know, getting that picture for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a guy recently where, like, I was giving a talk and he showed up and he was kind of saying how, he asked me why it was that I limited myself when I uh, paint people of color. Like, why is that a limitation and I only do that? I was like, well, why do you think of it as a limitation? It's it's not. It's This is what I've chosen mm-hmm. to do. Um, so in that case, I think it's somebody, like, not getting that this work maybe you won't find a place for yourself in here but you have like this entire mm-hmm. other culture of representation right. for yourself so was you that know. person white who asked yeah he was an older white guy mm-hmm. um but yeah it's like you're you're missing the big picture here that it's for you you're welcome here it's for you to enjoy as well but this is not necessarily your story at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's okay that it's not your story. Like, you can come right, and you, you can... had the story. Yeah, you have an the... entire right. society of story. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, right now, this is, like, not your story. You're welcome mm-hmm. to enjoy it and to support and to ask questions even and have mm-hmm. an educational moment. But, you know, mm-hmm. this is for somebody else right now. <laughs> and that's why I think it's so important now to produce as much as possible to show the wide range of people that are out there yeah, and just definitely. get those other stories out there. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> um, so you're going to give me some of your art to post on my Instagram and Facebook, definitely. right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I want examples of this. Um, so what changes would you like to see for women in the future? And I think you've touched on this a little bit. Yeah. Um, just being able to be taken seriously professionally, um, not having to have your sexuality play a role in what you do professionally, you know, not having to play that sort of game. Um, Also, yeah, just seeing more women out there in higher positions, especially Mm -hmm. within fine art world. I I Mm -hmm. think that um, there's opportunities. I think we can do it now. And now I think in a way, right now might be a moment where being a woman can kind of be an asset because people are looking to see what our story is Mm -hmm. now. Um, So I really hope there's a lot of other female artists out there trying to take advantage of it and get out there. I hope so, too. (laughs) So, who are some women that you admire? Um, You know, I'm not a big, like, celebrity person, but just the women in my life, I think. You Mm -hmm. know, my mother, my aunts, just 
looking at what they do. And I think the reason for that is that I see, I get to see their day-to-day stuff and Mm -hmm. what it is that they deal with. And I know their whole story and, you know, I know where they come from and how hard they work to live and do the Mm -hmm. things that they do. So to me, that's really inspiring. Mm -hmm. And seeing that close up is such a great teacher. It is definitely 100%. All right, so we're going to move into stories of subversion. Um, So I think I'll have Julia tell hers first. Yeah, I was just going to touch a little bit on um, Gabby Douglas and, uh, you know, about Mm -hmm. her a little bit. First African-American Olympian, I believe, to win the individual Mm -hmm. all-around. And the thing that was, like, subversive about that to me is that I don't think she was going out there trying to, like, shake up things the way that she did. I, in mm-hmm. fact, I know she wasn't because the whole controversy after she won wasn't about her physicality or her talent or what she accomplished. It was about her hair. <laughs> like, do you remember that? We, I remember vaguely. Yeah. But, well, basically, the next, after she won, I think it was the mm-hmm. next day or two, everybody, and by everybody, I just mean like the internet trolls, mm-hmm. were criticizing her hair. And saying that it was messy and that, like, it was the edges were all messed up or whatever. And I'm like, is this really? Yeah, why is that the focus? <laughs> yeah, well, it was ignorance, but it was, like, multi-layered ignorance. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I'm like, first off, this young woman just accomplished something amazing. And mm-hmm. that's the main thing that you're concerned about is if her edges were laid down right. But secondly, it just demonstrates an entire level of ignorance for how her hair texture worked, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, when... when curlier hair texture gets wet by sweat or water or whatever it curls up a little bit that's what happens Mm -hmm. with our hair and it's not messy it's it's just hair (laughs) I mean how would any person look after they just did this like amazing feat yeah just broke made history right broke a record like (laughs) so I don't know I thought she handled that whole situation with like so much Mm -hmm. grace and elegance and I think it just furthered her accomplishment to see the way that she took that all in stride and, you know, didn't lose it over that. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was a cool thing. That's awesome. And she was fairly young, too, when that happened, right? Yeah, I don't remember the exact age. I don't either, but she was, like, a teenager, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a very graceful acceptance of everything that happened. definitely. An amazing feat. So I have a story of subversion as well. Um, so like I said, when this episode comes out, it will be Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, but a week before that is was the Golden Globes. And so I'm gonna, just going to talk about a little bit of what happened at the Golden Globes. So um, in response to the Me Too movement, the hashtag Me Too, uh, many women, women and men decided to wear black on the red carpet of the Golden Globes. Um, and Wearing Black was in support of the Time's Up initiative, which is an initiative that was created by many women in Hollywood. And so I'm just going to give a little bit of background on that because I don't know that many people know this background of the story. So many women in Hollywood received this open letter from the Alianza Nacional de Campesinas, uh, which is a network of female farm workers. Uh, and that's a network of about 700,000 women. Um, So they wrote this letter in solidarity with the women in Hollywood who had been experiencing abuse. Um, And the letter just shared that they have these common experiences coming from their bosses and coming from people in positions of power. Um, But the only thing, you know, the the main factor here that's different is that the women who were farm workers, who are farm workers, don't have the resources to combat the abuse that these women in Hollywood have. They don't have the money. They don't have Um, the access to lawyers that they have. Um, So they just had a little bit of a different experience. So in response to that letter, um, the Time's Up initiative wrote a letter back, and it was signed in solidarity by over 300 women in Hollywood. And it's meant to support women who are victims of sexual harassment and assault um, in all industries, not just in um, Hollywood. But some of these, you know, these situations where people don't really have power and don't have money and don't have access to the ways to combat this. So the initiative, it includes a legal defense fund and it plans to advocate for legislation to combat, combat workplace harassment. Um, and so I went on their website. It's, I think it's, um, the website is timesupnow.com and it has a lot of information. It has the letter of solidarity. It also has a link to the other letter of solidarity. Um, it has information and statistics about workplace harassment and inequalities. 
Um, how do I, it talks about how to identify harassment, where to get help if you're being harassed. They have a shop that donates 100% of their proceeds to the Legal Defense Fund, and then there are also places to donate to the Legal Defense Fund. Um, and I believe from what I've read that many women who are in who are not in positions of power will have access to that money in the Legal Defense Fund. Um, so it's just a lot of resources for people that maybe didn't have those resources or people who are feeling overwhelmed. Um, so I think that's a really good place to start. And so there was a little bit of backlash. So people at the Golden Globes are wearing black to kind of promote this Time's Up Now situation. And um, I mean, I guess the question of some people is, well, these people are wearing black, but they're still at the Golden Globes. They're still participating. Um, what are they actually doing to take action? But I think that by making this website and promoting this letter, that that is taking some sort of action that wasn't taken before. So that's that's kind of the, the long and short of it there. Um, do you have any comments about it? Or yeah, I, I think that's, it? No, I think that's really, really cool that there's actually something going on in mm -hmm. addition to a hashtag or to, like, everybody wearing the same mm -hmm. color. I mean, how many times do we see that for whatever, like, right. hashtag whatever? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's not enough to just put a hashtag on something or to wear a wristband or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not enough. So I think it's really cool to see mm -hmm. action behind this. Definitely. And they're all, I mean, the goal of those, like the hashtags and the wristbands and all those things is always awareness. But I think very rarely we see anyone taking a step beyond mm -hmm. awareness. Like, I don't know, some, I, I was kind of critical of like the NFL when they would wear pink for breast cancer mm -hmm. because I think they donated money, but I'm like, what else, what else are you doing? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were doing other things, but I was very suspicious of it. Um, <laughs> Another thing that happened last night at the Golden Globes was that Oprah won the Cecil B. DeMille Award. I don't really know who that is, but the award is an honorary Golden Globe given by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association for outstanding contributions to the world of entertainment, and Oprah gave an amazing speech that I'm going to post on the Facebook, um, and that's where I got that quote from about speaking your truth being the most powerful tool, um, and now people are saying that Oprah might run for president. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's my my story of subversion today with a little little shout out to Oprah. I wanted to pick Oprah for my story of subversion for a while now, but she just seemed like such an obvious choice. And I like to pick people that maybe people don't know a lot about or a little little more obscure. Mm -hmm. I think we all have our eyes on Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so we've come to the end of our episode. Julia, is there anything that you want to add that we didn't get into? I feel like we covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, shout out to all the ladies out there. I, I think you're amazing and you're powerful and I hope you go out there and just claim 2018. Woo! Woo. <laughs> Women claim in 2018. Yes. <laughs> so Julia, tell our listeners where they can find you, um, your art, your shop, all those different places. <clears throat> My shop is over here in North Buffalo, uh, right on the corner of Delaware and Hartwell. And uh, you can go to www.buffalobrush.com to look at the classes. If you're looking to see more of my studio work, um, you can visit my Facebook page, which is Art by Julia Bottoms. All right. Awesome. So hopefully we'll have people checking you out. Yeah. Cool. Um, and remember, if you guys are interested in getting in touch with Womankind, um, we have, we're have we on Facebook and Instagram at Womankind Podcast. Um, send us an email at womankindpodcast at gmail.com um, or visit our website at www. That was too many W's. Three W's. Dot <laughs> <laughs> com. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, bye, friends.